Welcome to the Member Engagement Show with Higher Logic, the podcast for association professionals looking to boost retention, gain new members, and deepen member involvement. Each episode, I'll bring on some experts, we'll talk shop about engagement, and you'll walk away with strategies proven to transform your organization. I'm Beth Arrett, an association evangelist with over 25 years experience in marketing and member engagement, and I'm so happy you're here. Now let's start the show. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest is Don Sweeney, a transformational business leader with decades of P&L experience, building top-line revenues, reporting to and serving in leadership roles on boards, and leading legislative and regulatory advocacy for one of the nation's largest business associations. Dawn has built a reputation for operational excellence and innovative strategic thinking, the longest serving and first woman president and CEO of the National Restaurant Association. She was responsible for advancing and protecting the nation's 1 million restaurants and its 15 million employees. Prior to assuming this role in October 2007, Dawn was president of AARP Services, the taxable business subsidiary of AARP. Currently serving as executive in residence at Georgetown University's McDonough School of Business, Her work is focused on identifying and architecting industry-driven solutions to challenging public health and social problems. She also serves as principal for the New England Consulting Group, a management and strategy consulting firm serving iconic CPG brands across the globe. Dawn has been twice named Trade Association CEO of the Year by two different national organizations and recognized by Washington Magazine as one of the most powerful women in Washington for each of the past five years. Don, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. I've been so excited to talk to you since ever since you agreed to do this with me. So thank you. It's so good to be with you, Beth. And I'm very excited about the chance to uh, be part of your podcast. We've been talking a little bit more on the podcast this year, a little more broadly about what associations are going to need to do to move forward in such an unprecedented time. I know people keep saying that, but I really don't think that you can say it enough. We haven't had a pandemic like this in a century. And obviously business is totally different now. I mean, just as obviously in your storied career, you've done so much with associations, particularly in advancing the way trade associations can be run with the whole model of keeping dues low and helping grow the association and its impact through other means. So with the unprecedented issues associations are facing right now, I'm hoping that we can use this time to get some information for associations on how they can learn from the kind of business model that you've been so successful in setting up and use that to sustain themselves and even grow as we hopefully come out of this pandemic. That's it. It's a great setup for pretty much, uh, you know, a a lengthy conversation. I know we... uh, we are going to focus our, our conversation on uh, kind of growth and revenue and the culture that uh, drives those kinds of things. I think in many ways, as you say, certainly unprecedented, certainly, you know, the most challenging time to lead and uh, grow associations in some ways that's ever been the case. But in some ways, to me, while everything has changed because of the pandemic, in fact, at the same time, nothing has changed, and it's the same kinds of challenges, just in an accelerated and amplified level. While it was always important to have a great team and great talent and to support and grow the people uh, on your team, that is more important today than it ever was. While it's always been important to have a sense of purpose and um, you know, a mission orientation to the work that we do in associations, it's even more important, it seems to me today. 
you know, flexibility and understanding of people's needs and in, in, in both on the team and within the membership and the verticals that you're supporting has always been important. It's even more important today and diversification of revenues and uh, growth and regrowth and line extensions and all those kinds of things on the products and services that we offer. Again, never been more important. So I think, you know, certainly work from home and technology and all the things that have come out of this unprecedented time make things in some ways more challenging. But in other ways, I really do see opportunities that really weren't there before for associations to be even more relevant. So it is a really exciting time. I, of course, retired at the end of 2019. So I'm not uh, in the seat any longer of leading an association during this pandemic, but I am definitely helping many who are. And I love the opportunities that are coming out of this, as well as most definitely an enormous number of challenges and just quite honestly sheer exhaustion um, on the part of everyone who's uh, been working tirelessly beyond what we were already tirelessly doing before the pandemic. Now it's at a point of almost, um, you know, urgent renewal is needed. But um, but I do think while everything has changed in many ways, uh, there's also much change and opportunity uh, for continued growth for associations in this particular time frame and for the time to come. I agree. And I think that um, a lot of the fear of making a huge change has really been overtaken by the fear of not making that change, if that makes sense. And being able to see the possibilities and being more willing to go after them is hopefully becoming a little more common as people see that the current model may not be sustainable. This is actually, you've just touched on something that's one of my absolute favorite topics, which is getting out of your comfort zone and that sense of fear that we all have of change and fear of disruption and fear of you know making a mistake and fear of all the various fears that we have. And, and we all have fears. And I think it's what you do with those fears that really can make a difference. And this whole idea of living in your comfort zone, I would always say, I have never, I haven't lived in my comfort zone for 30 years. I mean, I live outside of my comfort zone all the time, every day, all day. But what happens with that is you move from comfort into fear, but then you get out of fear and move into learning and you get out of learning and you move into growth. And when you can make that whole cycle, if you can just not go from comfort to fear and stay there, but go from comfort to fear, to learning, to growth and try to move through that fear into those last kind of two big uh, opportunities, it changes everything. And so I think, you know, a pandemic clearly, you know, doesn't give us any choice. Uh, There's a fear that comes from that and a fear of of change and a fear of, uh, you know, our loved ones and a fear of all kinds of things. But using that fear and moving through that fear, as you said, to take on those challenges and learn and grow and lead in new ways. That is imperative. And I think the pandemic, again, I'm an optimistic person by nature. So I'm looking for the silver linings and everything. Um, And there are many challenges in the pandemic that uh, we've all experienced uh, that are overwhelming. There are also opportunities, I think. And to me, one of them is helping us all to get better, moving out of our comfort zone and getting through that first fear phase into the payoff, which is learning and growth. Not easy, right? No, it's not. (laughs) It's not easy. It's not. I mean, you know, with so many associations at that point, what would you say to leaders who at those associations who are 
looking at moving away from relying so heavily on dues and event revenue? And where would you suggest they start? So to me, uh, what I've always, where I've always started is with the mission of the organization, because everything that you do, whether it's advocacy or um, products or services, non-dues revenue, uh, affiliations, all the various you know options that with sponsorship, et cetera, membership, I think you have to absolutely have to start with the organization's mission and the purpose of that organization. And from that, I always see it almost as like kind of concentric circles. You build out to the stakeholders that you have within your membership value opportunities. And so, you know, starting with the mission and the purpose of the organization and and getting kind of um, maybe a little not creative necessarily with it, but just keeping it as broad as you can, not kind of making it narrow, but thinking about understanding the constituencies that you represent and what their challenges are. So in my case, at the National Restaurant Association, one of the early things that I did in my early part of my tenure was to really study the P&L statement of a restaurant, really understand what were the drivers to the profitability of a restaurant. And that was particularly important in the restaurant industry because it's such a narrow uh, profit margin, such as a, a low profit margin. So any kind of small shift there in terms of improving profitability can really change the dynamic for a restaurant. And those were our uh, stakeholders and constituents. And so I really wanted to make sure I understood the P&L. And when I did that, I found there were two or three things in our case in the restaurant industry that were really dramatically impacting the P&L. And so when I was looking at opportunities to build value, I was trying to make valuable contributions to those things uh, to improve the um, cost of labor or to improve the supply chain issues or to improve you know, other things that were material to the profitability of the restaurant. I think every association leader can do the same thing and look at kind of what is the financial model of your industry and where are the places where you can make the biggest impact. You can come up with a great idea that you know is something that's 2% of the uh, cost of doing business and you can improve it by 100%, it's not going to make a huge difference. If you find something that's 35% on the P&L and you improve it by 2%, that makes a big difference. And so that's kind of where I would always start was with the mission of the organization, the purpose uh, of why people affiliate and trying to find meaningful ways to help in that regard. So, you know, the answer is just as easy as the question itself, right? Just, just yeah. <laughs> find, look really hard into everything and find the gaps. Like that's, there you, there you go. that's, that's innovation that's, in a that's, nutshell, that's, find the gaps. That's exactly right. That's, uh, but, and then finally meaningful gaps. I think that's the, yes. the thing that it's a, lot, a lot of folks will, will find the gaps, but they'll put a ton of effort into filling a gap. And if they're a thousand percent successful and they do an awesome job, it's still not going to make a you know, real meaningful difference to the business. So that's, that's the only thing I would add there. Yes. Find, find the important gaps, find the important the ones. Gap, yeah. The go. ones that are going to make us make a difference to that end. You were really successful more than once at building not only these kinds of programs, but also building a culture to help facilitate and grow through that kind of change and sustain it long after. So what's the quote unquote secret to doing that? Yeah, no secret. Uh, <laughs> it's A, I think uh, for sure, number one, having the right people on your team. And by that, I mean not only your executives and staff and uh, leaders that are executing and carrying out the strategy, which is 
number one vital, got to have the right people on the team, a diverse, well-articulated, well-connected um, team where people are working well together. They're not afraid to challenge each other. They will push back. They will support. They will. Everybody's kind of in it for the bigger vision and the bigger reasons, not, any, not people that are narrow and only focused on their own area, but people who are statesmanlike in their behavior and will work across silos and verticals to get the right job done. So for sure, the team within the organization and then the team outside the organization, meaning the board, uh, the leaders on the board, the way that you have um, conversations with those leaders, the way that they will, again, in their own way, push back or support or do all the things that uh, you know fiduciary board members are supposed to do, having people that you trust, being able to um, consider big ideas like acquisitions and mergers. And in our case, we did those, but we also sold our trade show at one point along the way. And now it's come back to the organization and just like a real sense of entrepreneurship. Uh, and again, easier in the restaurant industry probably because it's filled with entrepreneurs, but possible to do in a place like AARP where I was uh, before that, where we had a different kind of a mix of, of board members. And so I do think it's for sure about the team, both the internal team and the, you know, the fiduciary board uh, team, and then certainly the members, their willingness to try things to help you do um, you know startups and and do little focus groups and things with the membership where they can honestly tell you the truth and what they need and what they don't need all that is really really important especially in the early days and then beyond that I would say it's really about making data driven decisions trying not to get too uh, emotionally attached to an idea until you're sure it's something you're want to be emotionally attached to it's hard to do because you because you can get really excited all of us can i think it's a big idea i love this we got to do it and all the information and data may be pointing in the other direction but you're not going to really take it in because you're so sure it's the right thing being willing to be somewhat dispassionate until you become passionate about something um, is important and then i would say certainly um my general motto for almost everything in my life is continuous improvement. You know, when it's working, make it better. When it's better, make it better again. You know, just constantly innovate and change and grow and improve and tweak and never settle, frankly, um, to think that you're done because the world's changing so rapidly. I think that continuous improvement mindset is really important um, in, in the particularly in the uh, revenue side of an association. Particularly now too. I mean, now brings a lot of opportunity for improvement in programs or doing away with things that are no longer relevant, which is hard when you get emotionally attached because you've got something, as you said, people got passionate about it and it was working really well. And in this new world, it doesn't work anymore. It's hard to let those things go sometimes. That's a really important skill that I think we all continue to try to improve upon because when you have something that is even if it's marginally successful it, it doesn't have to be a, you know have to be a, a failure to drop it it could be something that's marginally successful but it is taking resources from things that could be meeting even more meaningful to the membership the stakeholders the PL etc and so you you have we all have limited resources and perhaps now more than ever and so how do you say you know how can I optimize 
the resources I have to create the greatest value. And oftentimes that does mean stopping certain things. And you're afraid to stop them until you have something that's better because you don't want to have a huge big gap where you don't have either the thing that was okay before the thing that's going to be great is added in, you know, so it's kind of sequencing and timing matters there. But it is really important. Uh, And that's why I think where the team comes in also, because, you know, if, if you're the person who created it, or you're the person who is championing it, or you're the person who, you know, is, is kind of the leader of a particular area, it's very hard to say, hey, I think we should stop doing this thing. But if you have, as I did a phenomenal CFO who does the analysis and comes back and says, let me just show you something here. Uh, And there's nowhere to, you know, you really have to take it on because it's true. And you say, okay, that's, that's the kind of pushback I'm talking about within the organization. You know, before you ever get the board or anybody else involved, you have to have those conversations among your leadership, honestly, and sometimes even urgently. Agreed. I think that sometimes people want to bring people into associations who have worked in the industry. That's, mm-hmm. I've often seen that be a requirement, particularly in the marketing area, because they're like, oh, you know, the industry, so surely you can market to it. And I find that hiring people uh, who have marketing degrees and or business degrees can make you a lot more successful because if you're smart about it, you can learn the industry. You can ask the people who know what they're talking about. You can talk to the people who are closest to the members but it's a harder skill to learn that business mindset and that mentality and how to do those analyses. It's so interesting because I think, you know, associations are definitely, as you say, trying to move into more of a business uh, orientation and business acumen is super important now in an association leadership role, uh, which you can get in a variety of ways. Uh, But I do think that business acumen is more valuable and valued uh, today than it was maybe even, you know, eight or 10 years ago. I would say I have had mixed success bringing people from business with business backgrounds into an association environment. My, I would say some of my most successful hires were people who did come from outside the association world. And some of my least successful hires were people who came from outside the association <laughs> world. And so I think it's really more about the individual because there is a certain quality or characteristic or um, personality profile or something about someone who's going to be successful in an association. And in addition to business acumen and, you know, interpersonal skills and leadership skills and all the things that you need to be successful most anywhere, you have to have that larger vision, I think, and a larger appreciation for the impact of what you're doing on an entire industry, an entire community. You're not, you know, you're success metrics are not stock price and earnings per share type metrics. They are much bigger and broader than that. And the pace sometimes, while fast in the daily, can feel like progress is being made more slowly in the overall uh, time frame. And so I think there is a certain personality profile that is important. I've learned over my entire 40-year career now what to look for. But until I figured it out, I made some mistakes. And I think it's okay to make mistakes as long as we learn from them, obviously, and take it on board and try not to to do it again, right? Back when I was learning how to figure skate, which did not last for very long, I would get angry with myself if I left the ice and I hadn't fallen at least once because I felt like I hadn't pushed myself. Enough. What a great, that's a great example of what we're talking about here. That's excellent. 
Yeah. Forget the anger part. Maybe don't be angry, but to be, well, yeah, to be happy I'm, when you do fall in some ways. It's yeah. good when you fall. You know, it's anger good might you be, fall. yeah, anger might be pushing a little bit, but I was definitely disappointed. I get off the ass. Yeah. Like, oh, that's I clearly great. didn't push myself enough. I didn't try anything that was out, like you said, outside my comfort zone because yeah. I didn't fall. And I mean, that's when figure skating, when you're learning things, you fall a lot. Yeah. So, and in associations, when you're learning things, you fall a lot too. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, figure skating and associations, good, good uh, companions there for analogies. Shifting gears a little bit, I have seen a lot of talk recently about affinity programs, which have some of the same pros and cons of full on for profit opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, members questioning the money that the association gets and whether the partnership makes sense. So what advice would you give to associations who are looking at affinity programs or looking at how to talk about the value of them to their membership? Once again, I think the um, most important thing from my perspective is that whatever you're doing has to be connected to the mission and not just like, you know, six degrees of separation connected, like really connected. So here's the mission here's the affinity program and here's how they're connected. And I wouldn't want to be promoting things that are two or three steps away from the core mission of the organization, unless there were some compelling, clear, logical reason to do it. Uh, And so obviously judgment has to come into play in, in all these cases. But you as the individual who's making these decisions in your own associations are the ones who know best what the mission and the purpose of the association is. And so to me, there's like the what you're going to do, you know, what is that affiliate affiliate program or affinity program or sponsorship or whatever it is? How does it get articulated? And sometimes in the how you can do some things that make it more closely connected to the mission than it might otherwise naturally be. But then most importantly is why? Like, why are we doing this? Are we just doing it to raise money for our, you know, a revenue line? That's not sufficient any longer, I don't think. I think you need to be able to articulate the why on these things as it relates to the various stakeholders that you have and what the value is to them. And so I would always ask myself, you know, what are we doing? How are we doing it? And how how can we do it in a way that makes it even more meaningful and relevant to our constituencies? And again, to me, most importantly, why are we doing this at all? And if you can't clearly answer those questions, I mean, you can always answer those questions, but it, sometimes it takes a little longer to come up with an answer that you feel comfortable with. And when you're in that phase of trying to answer those questions, to me, that's when these programs get best constructed because you are delving down more deeply into the, into the reasoning behind this. And you'll often find that your relationships will take different shapes and different forms with different incentives and different uh, metrics when you do kind of that three-step process. I love that. I think that that's something that's sorely missing in the day-to-day barrage of affinity program, people who are sending you emails when you're working in an association. It's, well, it's, oh. it's understandable because in this moment, I mean, everybody is just like, oh my God, you know, we've got to get some revenue. And so, yeah. you know, it's easy just to say we're an association. We have this kind of membership that we can connect to. And we have, you know, we have the ability to make that bridge between the program and the industry or whatever. And the easy thing and or sometimes easy in the short term thing to do is say, yeah, let's just try that and do it and see if it creates some revenue. But in the long term, it also can create 
a lot of problems and it can create, uh, you know, the brand and the loyalty and the trust that the association has to me is like everything. It's like in any other industry, but in, you know, the brand value. And every time you do something that somehow doesn't even have to degrade the brand value in my mind, but if it doesn't add to the brand value, you do four or five or six of those and you do get the kind of situation I think that you described in, in the question here, which is, you know, lots of questions about why are we getting this money and why are we taking this money and what is this about? And so I think, you know, those who have affinity programs and our marketing affinity programs to associations could also help here uh, by putting themselves through that same prism <laughs> as in terms of thinking through the affinity program with association A is not necessarily the exact same affinity program as what we're doing with association B or C because of the constituencies and the needs and the purpose of the organizations are different. Agreed. I think the same thing, that's why I put that out there. The same thing definitely applies for the full-on for-profit opportunities that people have. Definitely. More, I think it's more obvious when you're looking at it from the association standpoint that the for-profit opportunity obviously needs to make sense because you're looking at something that is helping. Hopefully you're looking at something that is helping with a gap, whereas the affinity programs are kind of a nice to have benefit, especially, you know, in these times because any piece of it that gets a member to take advantage of it is money in the association's pocket that's desperately needed right now. And it also creates that, you know, that affinity with the, for the member, with the organization, if they can get certain benefits by belonging to this organization that they couldn't get if they didn't belong to the organization, there's benefits there too that aren't necessarily financial directly, but that will convey to membership retention and all kinds of other things. And so they're, they're good ideas and good tools to have in the toolbox for sure. I just think, you know, being a little discerning in terms of which ones you activate is an important important skill. Yeah. I mean, so AAA and of course, AARP, as you're well aware, mm-hmm. um, have done an amazing job doing that. And I admit to being a card carrying member of both. Now I just okay. became eligible to join AARP and just joined it. And I love that the dues are not that expensive, but the benefits of the different affinity programs and the different things that I now can take advantage of as a member of those fit the things that I need as I'm getting older, just like with AAA, so many of their benefits are travel related. And, you know, when air travel and hotels and things like that became more important, they dove right into helping with that as well. I joined a, I joined AAA largely for the discounts, knowing that the discounts would pay for themselves, but also that the towing and the roadside assistance was there if I needed it. And I kind of feel like associations should look at affinity programs the same way. If you can find discounts that make sense for your members, even if it's not directly related to your industry, for example, we're talking about things that make sense for the members, things that are helpful to the members, because ultimately helping the members is one of the main goals of the association, just as helping the overall industry is. And things that make sense for the members that give them value on a regular basis while knowing that the overall mission of maybe advocacy and, you know, fighting for what their industry needs is also a big part of it and there to rely on can be an important part of a successful affinity program. 
you know, when you understand your membership, that's the value, that's the judgment piece and the value piece of the kind of, you know, when you're inside that organization, you know best what those members need. And, and, and it may not be anything that's deeply devoted to your advocacy mission. Although I personally always started with our advocacy mission and built out from there. Yeah. Uh, but there could be something that's not connected at all to the advocacy mission or to the mission of the organization that would really make a ma- meaningful difference in, in the course of uh, the lives of the individuals or the organizations that you serve. And so that's exactly right. And I think, you know, I've, I've often said, I don't think, and I actually think this is really true. I don't actually think I personally have ever had an original idea myself <laughs> all by myself. I literally don't. But if we just look up and look around and so many ideas that we have activated in the organizations that I've had the privilege to uh, be affiliated with in the course of my career, so many of those things came from seeing something that was completely unrelated and then connecting a dot to something that was related in you know, the world that I happen to be in and making a translation and saying, wow, they did that there has nothing to do with anything that, you know, within ARP or the restaurant industry. But I can see how that with this twist or this change could be really relevant. And so I think, you know, it's easy to get in the zone of like, you're just looking in your own vertical and you're looking in your own, you know, with a small definition of competitors in your space or that kind of thing. The big ideas, I think, often come from completely unaffiliated, unconnected industries or, or experiences if you just kind of look up and look around, that is, that's my definition of how to get a, how to get a new idea. I want to take this little snippet and just play it for everyone I've ever. All of us. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because it's, it's back to the comfort zone thing. You know, it's easier just to look at the top four competitors and look around and maybe somebody's going to have a differentiated idea there, but chances are they're not. The chances are that big ideas are going to come from completely random outside places. I love to analyze being a marketing person. I love to analyze commercials. I love to Uh analyze why they work because when you analyze why they work and see what they're getting at their base plan, there's so much there that you can apply to even email marketing for associations. Yeah. You just have to get into that mindset of trying to figure out why something works and then how you can apply that same approach to your marketing, whether it's an association, whether it's you know, anything that I tend to lean towards marketing that helps people, which is why I've spent so much time in associations. You can apply the concept of why it works, no matter if you're, if it's a marketing commercial for a car. So, Absolutely. And sometimes even more, more relevant because there's a big idea there that hasn't even been used in your own community that they've yeah. perfected in the automobile industry. And how do you translate it over? So I think reading and staying up to date on, I mean, TED Talks and everything you can find. I mean, I, I read, I just overdo it in some cases, and I always did even over the years, but I just think reading and or now listening or podcasts like this and many others, are, it really does. It's the greatest way to kind of broaden your or open your aperture even fuller, more fully to, to life. There's so many great resources out there that the only thing limiting us is the time to actually time. take advantage right. of all of them. Yep. That's right. But I do, I would tell you, I think, you know, 30 minutes invested in listening to a podcast can create years of value yeah. in terms of, uh, and work probably too, but, but, you know, versus 30 minutes of heads down work on a specific project, which we all have to do every day too. 
it's just the balancing of that. You know, you have to do the work, you have to execute the play. You can't just be, in, you know, thinking and growing and innovating all the time. You have to do the work. But rewarding yourself from, is what I would always do, rewarding myself from doing the work by giving myself some of that brain food, you know, and to be able to think more broadly. That's, that's, and there's so many ways you can do it now when you're out exercising, you're on a plane. If we get back on plane soon, we're hoping all those things, you know, there's lots of different ways you can integrate it into your daily life without taking away from other important obligations that we all have. Yeah, I agree. And lately I've been trying to diversify what I listen to because, you know, I have my favorite podcasts. I have my favorite uh, authors when they come out with new book. And so I tend to make time for those. And I realized as brilliant as I think all of these people are, I'm limiting my exposure to a way, ways of thinking, thoughts and ideas. So I've been trying to break out and listen to different podcasts, even That's about completely good. different topics. Um, I've started listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson's podcast recently, who's uh-huh. an astrophysicist. He has this way of connecting things, the way of connecting the world around us to this larger concept that I think has a lot of value in figuring out how to connect what we do as associations to the larger world around us, what we're doing. I think that's their brilliant. Industry. I think that's, that's brilliant. And those are the kinds of things I think. And that's a great example of something that's way out of it. I've listened to him as well. And I, you know, he's, he's obviously brilliant in every dimension. And yet he's, you can understand what he's saying, at least to some, to some degree, not fully, I'm sure can I, but, but it, but it, it does, it opens up different, fires different neurons in your brain when you listen to different things like that. I think the other thing I think is super important. I think we all, I know you like Simon Sinek. I love Simon Sinek and we all of us follow him and read him and all those kinds of things. He said something recently I read about the value of networking. And I would say, you know, to the extent that I had a successful career in very large part, it was because of my willingness and interest to, to network, but networking by Simon Sinek's definition, which I had never heard until recently, but it is exactly uh, what I think is is the is the right way in my view to thinking about it. Which he said something about that the value of networking doesn't come from how many people we can each individually meet, but it comes from how many people we can introduce to others. Well, doesn't that great when you think about yeah. networking? And I do think that's vital, especially in the association community, because again, learning from each other, and there's lots of different ways of doing things. And you want to uh, have those connections, both with individuals and with organizations. It is really not, and this is always my philosophy, even though I didn't know how to, with how to call it, it wasn't about how many people can I meet. It was like, oh, I know Beth and she needs to know so-and-so because they're doing these really interesting things that are really connected to what Beth's interested in. Hooking the two of you up and seeing what happens from that. That yes. is, if we all spend our efforts in that regard, you end up just without even trying with a huge network of people because you're introducing everybody to everybody else, <laughs> yes. but you're not doing it for the reason of your own personal networking. You're doing it for the benefit of the people, uh, you know, that you care about and uh, the issues in the, in the organizations that you care about. So that was kind of a big aha to me to hear it articulated the way that Simon Sinek articulated it. I'm also a big fan of Todd Henry, who's really good at doing that in the marketing space. He's really, he's got some really amazing books. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of his first one was, um, he did the accidental creative, but then uh, there was one called Die Empty. And both of those Mm -hmm. I really loved. 
And then he's had some really good ones on managing marketers now kind of like hurting tigers and things like that. Sorry. I didn't mean to turn this into a, no, that's great. Thank you. I, I, I know you like to read. Well. That's, yeah. Make notes like I am too. That's great. Yeah. I know you like to read and it was a book that you recommended to me that sort of was life-changing for me. So it was the, uh, the second mountain. One of my Such all-time favorite books. One Such of my all-time book. favorite books. Yep, definitely. Book. A, uh, I probably read it four times. I've listened to it a couple of times all the way through on Audible. And every time, like we were saying, every time you listen to it or hear it or read it or pick it up, you pick up something new because you're a different person this time yeah. than you were the last time you read it. And you'll see things that might not have even, you may have just you know flew, flown right through the first time or the fourth time. When you read it the fifth time, you're a different person again, and you pick up on things. So I think reading really good things once is always not sufficient. You definitely take different things away from anything you mm-hmm. consume when you have a different viewpoint because you're older and you're a different person. So right, I definitely yeah. think that there's been an opportunity for, we could go off on a whole other podcast about this, but for self-improvement. And I think that that's definitely. been one of the drivers behind the whole great resignation thing is that people have had time to sit and think and realize what they want and make changes, which is great, even though it's been really hard on organizations for keeping talent. But in the end, you know, when everybody's where they're supposed to be, if that ever happens, it's, we're going to be a better world for it, you know, because there's a lot of people that, that uh, should be in those jobs that people are resigning from that would love those opportunities. So hopefully it'll be a great reset as well as a great resignation. I hope so. And I kind of hope a lot of people, find association life this way um because a good point yes yeah um because they go okay well it's time to try something new i'll try an association and yes. discover how and much like we know it. once you get into association you're very unlikely to leave the community you know yeah. it's just such a great great place to be for careers for impact for growth for all kinds of reasons i've always said that you know i could sell i could market cigarettes uh, my when I was growing when I was a kid, my dad was was like, you could sell snow to people in the Antarctic. I could market cigarettes. I could market anything. But I love being in a job where I feel like my marketing is helping people and making things better and having an impact. And nowhere is better for that than associations. In my opinion, I could not agree with you more. I think you're exactly right. And I think as people begin to to talk about that more and realize it more, this generation of individuals that are coming into the workforce, that is primary for them. And so while it was, you know, it was more individualized when I was coming up where that was my driver, but it wasn't, you know, necessarily everybody's driver. It's more and more, almost a lot of everybody's driver, you know? And so again, Mm -hmm. I think we, the great resurgence of the association career opportunities will continue to grow in part because it is a unique place to be able to make those kinds of long standing, long lasting contributions. And I have loved that about my time with the associations. It's been and we're glad you're still in the, so you're still right there in the association evangelist. Doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. <laughs> I get to help so many associations now and right. I just absolutely love it. And that, that, that this organization is one that cares enough to invest in this kind of role. That's also again, pretty unusual. That's right. That's very, I mean, that's wonderful. You found the right, you found the, the right next place for you for sure. Yes. I could literally sit here and talk to you all day about this, but I want to be mindful of your time. So I'm going to give you one final question and then we'll wrap up. What are the three most important ways you think that associations need to engage members this year as we hopefully come out of this pandemic? Well, back to the very original 
part of our conversation. I think although things have changed completely, they in some ways haven't changed at all. You know, the same things that were important in terms of member engagement before the pandemic are important and perhaps vital now toward the coming out, as you say, period of this pandemic and into this new reality that we will be in for the next period of time. I think going back to some of my earlier points, I would just maybe double down on a couple of them and then maybe add a third new idea. Uh, First of all, I do think it is really imperative that the association leaders have a deep understanding of the business model of their constituencies. So if you're going to engage with your members, ideally, particularly in a time like this, you want it to be on topics and things that are vital to their success. And the Restaurant Association, we used to do it, we did it for decades, long before I arrived, a study every month asking our members, what are the five most challenge, biggest challenges you have right now? And sometimes it would be, you know, three years straight, it would be the same five things. And then for five months, it might be different every single month. We wanted to know what were the things that were at the top of their list of things they were challenged by so that we could be meaningful partners with them. And so I think however you get it, number one is a deep understanding of the business model and the business challenges of your constituency. Number two, I think I'll go back to the Simon Sinek definition of networking. I think more than ever, we have to create opportunities for our members to come together and again, realizing it's more challenging now with some of the in-person events, and we've got hybrid models and we have virtual gatherings and we have lots of different ways to keep people connected. I think just really doubling or maybe even tripling down on the networking aspect, that is such a unique thing that associations are gifted with in terms of the permission and the expectation that this associations, we're going to facilitate that networking and those connections. I think doubling down on that with using technology and any other kinds of uh, ways that we can is important. And then the third and final thing I would say is, um, and this is something that frankly took me a while to learn, but I did uh, embrace it (laughs) the last decade or so of my career, which is encouraging feedback, which I always did. But the part of listening to criticism, like really seeking out critical feedback. And knowing that even when criticism is coming your way and you could you can make all kinds of logical reasons why what they're saying isn't true, trying to get past that and thinking about is there any truth in what is being said here, taking it really seriously. And perhaps you'll say, no, there isn't. They're, they're literally 100% wrong. There's nothing that they've articulated here that's actually true that's really happening in the organization. What I found is when you really get quiet and listen and allow yourself to think, is there any truth in what this criticism is saying, or this critic in this case is saying, chances are there's going to be a grand truth somewhere in it uh, that would allow you perhaps to think differently about the way you're leading or the way you're doing your, your business or your work. And so I would say just encouraging feedback and taking criticism uh, really seriously and allowing yourself not to be defensive, but to be open uh, and to be self-reflective is probably the third thing I would say. Well, that last one is the one that's, I think the hardest for so many people. I I know that for all of us. (laughs) Yeah. I know that it's only really become something that I am somewhat comfortable with in the last five years or so. Maybe I think it takes a certain amount of maturity and realizing that you 
shock of all shocks may not be perfect to, to get to that point, um, which is harder for some of us to accept than others, <clears throat> myself included, to get to that point is difficult. But then to really look at that criticism and analyze it dispassionately, um, kind of the same way that we were talking earlier about your, the ideas that you have become so fond of, I think is, is an important skill set. You may not Even, do it every time, but if you just do it every fifth time, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that you, you end up finding you have a lot of good, let's just say good fodder to work with in terms of your own, our own individual self-development. Yeah. And even if you look at it and realize, okay, wait a minute, that's not, that's not accurate. There's clearly a reason the person who said it has that idea. So how did that happen? It could be in your communication. It could be yeah. in your tone of voice. It could be in all kinds of things. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. right. There's usually yeah. something there. There's usually something there I have found. And I think, you know, the, as you grow in your careers and you have more and more and more responsibility, this becomes more and more important. So when you are leading an organization, you, you, to your point, you know, you recognize certainly you're not perfect, but also you're not capable of getting all these things done. <laughs> you have need a team of people around you need to be willing to listen to their criticism and their feedback. So it's not just the members or the constituents, it's actually within the organization as well. And sometimes it's even more prominent within the organization. And again, being open to, to hearing that and making adjustments and, and dissecting it and then learning and growing, it's all part of the one big thing. Everything's connected, right? I think that's a great place to end on, even though I would seriously love to sit here and chat with you all day. Oh, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate the opportunity to be part of your uh, your podcast, and I'm very excited oh, about the work that you're doing, Beth. Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity to have you on and hearing you speak before just, again, was kind of life-changing in a lot of ways. So thank you for coming in and hopefully giving a little bit of your knowledge to everybody else. And for everyone listening in, thank you for spending some time with us. Hope you came away with some good stuff. Um, be sure to subscribe to the Member Engagement Show on your favorite podcast platform. And as a reminder, I have launched an association newsletter called AMP, Association Marketing Pros. So if you're interested in getting that news every Tuesday, you can find the link in the episode notes and I'll see you all next week. Thank you.